Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wonderful, mighty God, as we bow in your presence this morning. Great is your presence that is amongst your people. Even as the book of Revelation describes it, standing in the midst of the seven candlesticks. Lord, moving, directing the church. You are the one that is in control. There is no secrets hidden from you, Lord. You know every heart. You discern every soul, every secret, Lord. You know what each one has need of this morning. And Lord, we want to surrender ourselves to you. Lord, any gift that is here is given by you. Any character is molded by you. So we have nothing whereof to glory in ourselves, but we glory in the Lord this morning. And we just submit this service into your hands, desiring the leading of your spirit and your divine unction. And as we move under that anointing that you've come with this morning, we pray that there be no hindrance. I pray, Father, that everyone would be in one mind and one accord, not the mind of the preacher, but the mind of the spirit. May you have your perfect way this morning. We ask your blessing upon each part now of the service, the word, the testimonies, every part in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. 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 Let me allow you to have your seats just for a moment. It's wonderful to be in the presence of the Lord this morning. Like every preacher, I'd say I wish somebody else was preaching. There's just a wonderful atmosphere here this morning and certainly would want to um, uh, just yield ourselves to that and let the Lord have his way. And greetings to each one of you. I see my dad there. He's, I know he's already been recognized. Happy Father's Day, Dad. Appreciate my dad so much as we all appreciate our dads. And we're thankful for the fathers that God gave us. He gave them to us for a purpose. And, uh, and uh, Brother Biscoll has already apologized for all the things that I put them through. And, uh, and that's true. Thank you. That's all the singing will do. The musicians can find their seats. And uh, um, we're grateful for that. And as those of you that are fathers understand that that uh, raising children uh, is a blessing and it is a labor. And uh, we're thankful for the blessing and we're grateful for the labor. And we know that uh, God has given us much in giving us children. So a certain sister, as I walked by her this morning, she just gave me a sly grin and said, Happy Father's Day, as though again, she said, you know, <laughs> You started all over again, and uh, we appreciate that. And uh, so um, I could have brought a Uganda update this morning, but I won't. Uh, I have some pictures that I won't show you of new, new fresh lineups this week for baptism, and things continue to go on there. We will keep you updated on Project Uganda. And uh, I've asked, them, asked the staff to put up a, uh, uh, some kind of a thermometer graph in the back so that uh, you can follow along as we try and uh, see what the Lord will give us to use in Uganda. And as much as the Lord blesses you and puts a burden on your heart, and some I've already spoken to this week, God bless you for how He has spoken to you about Uganda. 
and your help and assistance in that in the many things that need to be done there that we spoke on last Sunday. If you didn't see the service last Sunday night, you'll want to update yourself on what's happening in Uganda. But what I didn't do is tell you from the rest of the trip, as you see up here on the slides, uh, about Ethiopia. And uh, there's many wonderful things happening in Ethiopia, and I won't spend long on it this morning, but I just want to update you because you know that uh, the Basabozi had to leave Ethiopia to go back to Uganda uh, because the government had tightened the rules. Well, it turns out that Ethiopia is not the only country in Africa where the government is tightening the rules. Very similar to what Brother Branham talked about in how the World Council of Churches would tighten up and how that ministers would not be able to minister unless they had their credentials of the World Council of Churches. And so we see that taking place in Uganda. Brother Basabozi was no longer qualified to be, in the government eyes, a minister in Ethiopia because he did not have a theological degree from a recognized theological school. And so uh, uh, he was forced to leave the country. And uh, however, he's, he's right now applying for a visitor visa to be able to go back and visit the church and encourage the church there. And so I went back myself, I went into Ethiopia myself to encourage the believers and to strengthen them, and I found them to be in very good spirits. And uh, God has blessed them with some maturity in the number of years that they have been feeding on the Word. And so we're very thankful for that, and I just want to bring you uh, greetings from them. They are, they are uh, uniting together as a body and uh, though they, they lost their pastor, I won't say lost their pastor, though their pastor had to leave the country and will be traveling back to be with them, yet uh, there also are some brethren amongst them and the church is, is uh, staying knit together. Uh, they have a weekly, um, a weekly fellowship, home fellowship, that they gather together and this is a typical Ethiopian style uh, dish and food and I don't think we have any Ethiopians here. I don't know, Brother Gilbert, if you're familiar with this injera bread. I don't know if you've ever had, you've had it, okay? And um, I've had it too, and uh, I've never asked my wife to make it, actually. And uh, it, it's a unique flavor and a unique texture, and the brothers always ask me, would you like some injera? And I said, sure, I'm in Ethiopia, I'll have injera, but don't send any home with me. And, uh, and so we... We certainly appreciate that. This is uh, Brother Mogus. He's uh, one of the elders there now. He probably doesn't consider himself an elder, but he's one of the first ones that was saved. He was trained as a lawyer, and, the, and God is using him there in the church. He's ministering the Word of God. And so I just want to show you his face so you can remember Brother Mogus in prayer. He's a real solid brother, really loves the Word, and God is really using him, not just in the Addis Ababa area, which that is the church that you see here. Uh, This is just in Addis Ababa. There are still many believers scattered around the country that are not able to gather in the capital city of Addis Ababa. So this is probably about, I would say, maybe half the believers in Ethiopia, just so you understand that. Brother Mogus also travels to the the south of the country into his home area where the Oromo speak, uh, the Afan Oromo people uh, are gathered, and they are the largest indigenous people in that country, and we have a number of translations in their language, and uh, uh, we thank God for Brother Mogus 
because the Lord is using him in translation and in the ministry of the word. And so continue to pray for them there. Uh, here he is taking me out for a, uh, uh, a traditional Ethiopian meal in a traditional Ethiopian restaurant, and it was good. And this is Brother Gurmay, uh, Gurmay they would say, uh, and Sister Yodit. You're familiar with Sister Yodit. She was one of the first believers saved there also. She was instrumentally used of God to uh, open doors in different churches in different areas for Brother Basabozi to go and minister. And even she was thrust into the role of interpreter in the early years because there was nobody else to interpret. And so uh, she interpreted. But since that time, God has blessed her. Brother Gurmay came in a couple years ago. They've been married. Now they have their first child. And, and God is blessing them there. Brother Gurmay is also ministering the Word of God in the local assembly. Between Brother Gurme and Brother Mogus, they are the two brothers that are carrying the load of the work in Ethiopia now. So we see a transition happening. Brother Basabuzi is still leading the church, but yet we see these two brothers rising up with other solid brothers around them, and, uh, and also many new people. The Sunday morning service, uh, which I ministered there, was uh, very interesting because uh, uh, they, they had about 10 visitors in the Sunday morning service. They weren't all in, I think one of them was in the picture that I showed you. And uh, one, one particular instance was very interesting because God in Ethiopia moves in such a sovereign way. There was a, a, a boy and his mother that were walking by as the service was going on, and they heard the singing and, and or, or rather the beginning of the preaching of the word. And so the, the church is in the basement of a high rise. And so you actually have to go downstairs to get into where the church is located. And they came to the door. And then uh, the boy went in and sat down. And the mother stood by the door wondering, should I go in or shouldn't I go in? And finally she decided not to and she she left, and they actually lived nearby, and she left the, the meeting and, and went away. And her son realized that, and he's only about 12 years old, uh, he realized that his mom wasn't there. And so he went, and he found his mom, and he convinced her and said, Mom, you have to come back. You need to hear what this man is saying. And he brought his mother back to the service, and God just moved on her heart. And the Word of God is dealing with her right now. I appreciate these brothers because they immediately gather, because I don't speak their language, they immediately gather their names, their phone numbers. They, they've been taught well by their pastor. And, and while uh, just a day or two after I was there, I think it was two days after I was there, Brother Gourmet was meeting personally with three of the visitors that had come on Sunday. And so, you know, they follow up and they go after them and they, 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 they're concerned for their souls. Praise be to God, and we're concerned for their souls. And so you want to remember them in prayer. It's really a sovereign work that the Lord is doing over there. This brother here is Brother Asig. If I say that right, I probably don't. Um, he is a college lecturer and a new believer. Both he and his wife were baptized in the last year, and... They have one baby, and he's a very, very, they are very fervent believers, and of course, being a college lecturer, he's, he's very, very sharp mind, and he says, I want to write a tract, 
And he's already begun writing a tract to deal specifically with the mind of the Ethiopian people in introducing this message. And you know, God has, that's why God has to raise up men from within the country. I don't know the mind of the Ethiopian people. Even Brother Basobosi doesn't know the mind, even though he's been there for a number of years. But yet, it's the Ethiopian people that understand their own mindset. And so in dealing with the Ethiopian Orthodox Church and the denominational beliefs and all of those kind of things that are in the country, and so they're putting a little track together to be able to be given out, witnessing to the people. And so praise God, he knows who to raise up. He knows who to anoint with this word of the hour. And so you want to remember Brother Asig, wonderful young brother. It was actually in his house. I think that that picture was taken. And even between the Sunday, two Sunday meetings, he lives near the church. And all the believers went over to his house to uh, have some food together while I went and prepared for the evening service. And uh, so God bless him and God bless his labors. The reason that Brother Basabosi hasn't returned yet is... He just had a new baby. And so her name is Sharon Hannah Busabosi. <laughs> and uh, uh, she was born just last Friday. And she was due, I think, on June the 1st or June the 7th, maybe. And I told Brother Bus, I said, I was going to tell you it's probably a girl because she's late. <laughs> but I didn't want to because he's got... This will make a third girl now. I guess that makes him a real spiritual man now. He has three girls. And, uh, you know, he's uh, just, a, uh, just a real treasure. And uh, so they just had the baby dedication over there in the spirit of the service this morning. There's an African baby dedication. Brother Leo from Michiana. Uh, that's Brother Busabosi beside him. And on the left is Sister Rebecca, the mother. And the two little girls are there. And on the right, I think it might be the grandmother. I'm not 100% positive, but I think that's who it is. And so I just received that slide, that picture there while I was sitting in the office. And so just in the nick of time, things are happening. And uh, so remember Brother Busabosi, he has labors. He's helping us in Uganda, as you saw last week to uh, get the word up on the message hub, and he's also concerned for, and will be traveling back, I think, within a week into Ethiopia for a number of weeks to minister amongst the believers there and encourage the saints there. So remember the work in Ethiopia. You know, it wasn't too long ago that we were just rejoicing over one soul in Ethiopia. And then another soul in Ethiopia. And then another So We heard the individual testimonies. They were wonderful. Let's not lose our enthusiasm because we don't hear 3,000 in Ethiopia. You know, what you hear about happening in Uganda is extraordinary and unusual. You're not going to hear about those kind of numbers. I shouldn't even say not. Who knows what God's going to do? You know, God can do anything. But it's, it's very unusual to hear of those numbers. We don't rejoice in the numbers. We rejoice in God reaching the elect with his word of the hour. Amen. Praise be to God. So remember these brethren from Ethiopia. This is Brother Mogus, Brother Gurme, as I departed from Ethiopia on my way home. And uh, these are, I'm not sure they look like they're trying to figure out how to look into the lens here. But... You know, they're wonderful, wonderful brethren. Uh, and we had some wonderful fellowship around the Word while we were there. 
And so we're just so grateful for all that God is doing in Ethiopia. Remember Brother Mogus? He, he has a need. Pray that God will open up some uh, channel of income for him. He needs more income because he got married, but his wife is from Kenya. And so to bring her into the country and things, it's, it's just a financial situation. Any of you that are from poor countries understand that, in that sometimes it's just not easy to make the household work, but he needs to bring his wife home to, to Ethiopia. And, uh, you know, he, they travel back and forth, but uh, she's still working there, and he's working what he's doing there in Ethiopia. Pray for him, will you? I mean, I feel really burdened in my heart for him and his situation that God will allow him to unite with his wife uh, as he should be and uh, use them for the glory of the kingdom of God. Amen. So that's Ethiopia. Praise be to God. Let's stand together. If you don't mind standing one more time, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of John, chapter 6. Are you ready for the word this morning? We sang that song just before the missions report, Spirit of God, move. Write your word in my heart. When the Spirit of God moves, he has a sword, and that sword is the word. And by the word, he does work in our lives and uh, in a very supernatural way. And I want to speak this morning on the anointed word. Because we are, it is not good enough to have a Bible. And we are thankful that we have Bibles. There's many places that we visited in Uganda that Bibles were in, in uh, scarce supply. They were very scarce. But... Having a Bible by itself is not enough. The Catholic Church has a Bible. The Baptists have Bibles. The Presbyterians, the Methodists have Bibles. And they're looking at their Bible in a very historical view. But when God moves in every hour, He anoints His Word for that hour. All of the Word is inspired. All of the Word is profitable. But yet in the midst of all that, there is a specific anointed word for every hour. Amen. Amen. Let's just bow in prayer just one more time. Father, as we approach your word now, we pray, Lord, that you'll just come and anoint it to our hearts. We don't just need the baptism of the Holy Ghost, though that's what we need. But we also need your anointing on this service and upon this message and upon the speaker, and upon the hearer. And in every way, Lord, may you take complete control now. We want to yield ourselves to you. Lord, use us as only you can. We ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. John chapter 6, and we'll begin at verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. 
The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you. Now, I want you to notice now, he doesn't lighten up on them. He gets heavier here. Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. You have no life in you, which is a powerful statement because the Jews were commanded, drink no blood, because in the blood is the life. And so he says, whosoever eateth, whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him." Now remember, Jesus said it, this day will know that he said, I'm in the Father, the Father in me, I in you and you in me. All right, so now here he's commanding them. He says, the only way to get there is by eating my flesh and drinking my blood. As the living Father has sent me and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many therefore of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? What if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Amen. The Lord had his blessing to the word. You may be seated. As I started here last Sunday night, I'll, I'll just start here again and realizing that unless we can truly digest the word that is sent for us to live on, we will die. But if you can digest the word of God, it is life. And again, it's not simply that you accept the word of God, not just that you believe the word of God, but Jesus said, you must eat this bread. You must drink this blood. It must become a part of you. It must become assimilated. Not just put it into your mouth. Not just taste of heavenly things. Not just have some things that that you enjoy the flavor of in your message. No, the word is sent that you might assimilate it into your life. In other words, you are what you eat. And as you partake of the revealed word of God, it must become you and you must become it. It's not something that is an option. It's not just going to church and say, well, I believe the Bible. And and we know we've heard these things. We're not just a church. I like the way Brother McGeary said it when he he was here. He says, we're not a church. We're a people. Were, were the attributes of God that were in his thoughts before the foundation of the world that became expressed in our day. We, uh, we've had the spiritual amnesia washed away, especially in this hour where the Bible says we have arrived at the revealing of the sons of God. We have come to the point in time where God said the mysteries that were hidden in the word, I'll reveal them. They were hidden because Adam lost the title deed in the Garden of Edom. He, 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 Adam's sons couldn't know what Adam knew. 
Adam's offspring on down to Enoch and Noah and all of them, though they walked with God, though they served God, though they had a testimony that they were righteous, but yet they could not know what Adam knew in the garden because he had the title deed. But when they were cast out of the garden, they lost the title deed, but it didn't go to Satan because it wasn't for Satan. It went back to the original owner that the original owner would hold it until the last days when the one who paid the price, the Lamb of God, who died at Calvary, by whose blood we are redeemed, which is our atonement. And in that we are atoned 2,000 years ago, but the mystery of it was still a mystery because John in that day was going to write it and the angel told him, don't write it. But seal it up until the last days. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel. This day, the last days, the mystery of God would be finished. The redemptive purpose that he had in the back part of his mind would come into, into a form of revelation. And when the word of God comes into a form of revelation, it's not just for head knowledge. It's for you to eat. It's that you might digest the word. In other words, you are able to eat of this. You are not a baby church anymore. I have a son that has been weaned. But when he was born, he didn't eat pablum. He didn't eat uh, minced or my wife does blended up food. She just throws it and everything there for supper and runs it through the blender and feed it to him. And he loves it now. But he wouldn't have loved it when he was first born. But we're waiting for the day when he can take the knife and the fork and cut the piece off the steak and put it in his mouth. Of course, he's got to have teeth to do that. And, and chew it down and all those kind of things. What is it? There's a maturing process in a life. And so as the church matured on down to the last days where God says, there'll come a time in the church when I'll reveal all the mysteries. I'll make it all known. Listen, saints, the message that we have is not a message of I'm against this or I'm against that or this one's wrong or that one's wrong. Forget about all those things. We've received an anointed word that tells us who we are. I don't care what anybody else is. It doesn't matter to me. There'll be people that make mistakes. Let me live the life. Let me digest the word. Let me feed on the revelation. Let me have the unfailing body word of the Son of Man. It's an anointed word. And by that anointed word, we live. And unless you eat it, you die. It's the food for the hour. It is life. It is our sustenance. We could say, take the book and eat the book. All of those statements that we find in the scripture. And he is the book. And so we we must eat of him. Now. Don't be scared of terminology. I just threw a lot of message terms out there just now. Listen, those are, those are, that's the language of the bride. It's not, we're not trying to confuse anybody with seven seals or, or the book is open or the lamb redeemed the book or the atonement or this or that. That's the reality of what's been revealed in this hour. We're walking in the light of the atonement because everything laid in the atonement. And now we've come to the hour when the purpose of the atonement of Calvary has fully been revealed. 
I trust I don't have to go in the scripture and show how the, even the apostles spoke of it until the heavens had to receive Christ until the time of the restoration of all things. You know, that's, there, there was a season that was going to come to pass, but now that season has ended and we've come into a, another season. And this is the season of full redemption. This is the season of bringing you back to the inheritance that Adam lost. The fullness of God revealed in this day. Now let's just look at, at this subject of the anointed word this morning. We won't turn to it, but in John chapter 20, Jesus, the Bible says, he had spoken to his disciples, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, we're familiar with that scripture. And, uh, and so many people look at the scripture and go, Well, Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Ghost. And Brother Branham was asked about it and, and said, You know, what, was, what is the difference between Jesus breathing on the disciples and saying, receive you the Holy Ghost, and when they had to go to the upper room to tarry and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And Brother Branham says, it was a promise that he gave them. He breathed upon them his promise and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. It was a promise. They went up into the upper room to wait for the promise to be fulfilled. All right. So now, remember the promise. It wasn't just the breath. In other words, if he had breathed on them and not said anything, then it's not a promise. But out of his mouth comes not just breath, but comes the word. And in this scripture, we find the principle that Jesus referred to in John chapter 6. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit. And they are alive. And so the word that he sends forth is a living word. It's not a, some, a letter to be learned in some kind of a theological school. But when he sends forth his word, that's why even if you're sitting here this morning in need, you ought to be saying in your heart, Lord, just a word from you. Just speak something directly to me. I have a need. Brother Tim doesn't know what my need is, but you know what my need is. You know, many times people would come through the prayer line in Brother Branham's ministry, and, and that's what they were looking for. They weren't just wanting him to lay hands on them and go away. They were looking for a word, something from God that would apply to their personal situation so that they can say, I heard from God, and they can rest their life on that. And when you hear from God, it's no different than when you first came to, to the light of the word. And the word of God spoke to you. It doesn't matter whether it's from the scripture that you read, whether it's over the pulpit, somebody speaking the word of God. But when it comes to you and says, you must be born again, something begins to move. You might not even intellectually understand it, but something begins to move down on the inside of the inside. There's a predestinated seed. That's the life I'm looking for. Amen. Repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's why there are thousands of people being baptized in Uganda. All over the world there's people being baptized in true Christian baptism. Because the anointing has come to that word. Yeah. 
It's no longer the dark ages. It's no longer where people could hide the truth. The mystery's revealed. True water baptism is made known. And, it, and as it's spoken, it ministers to hearts because it's a vibrant, living word and people live by it. In other words, Jesus says to them, out of my mouth comes the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to let that thought sink in a little bit. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 16, it says, he had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun that shineth in his strength. What is it John describing here? He's describing the one that's standing in the midst of the seven candlesticks. He's describing his countenance. He's describing his sevenfold glory. He's Declare, he's, he's just penning it down as he sees it. He, he says, I see him, his face shines and, and his feet are like pillars of fire and all of this. But out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. What was, it was a representation, it was a symbol. Out of his mouth comes the word. Hebrews chapter 4, the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It's a word of God that goes forth from his mouth. Amen. It comes, and Jesus said, the word that comes from my mouth, it is spirit. It's not just a word. It's spirit, and it's life. You'll see as we get into it a little bit here. And so when you, when you can see here in Revelation chapter 1 that Jesus is not one of three gods. He is God. He is the Holy Spirit. The one that appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus that did not believe in Jesus, but he believed in the pillar of fire that led Israel. He believed in Jehovah God. And he cried out to this great light, this pillar of fire. He says, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus, who you persecute. You see, you can't separate us. We're one in the same person. And out of his mouth or out of God's mouth goes this two-edged anointed word. The sword which the spirit wields is the word. Ephesians chapter 6 says it that way. Take the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. He didn't say just take the spirit. He said take the sword of the spirit. Because you can't actually separate the word from the spirit. See, Pentecost tried to do that. I'm not talking about Acts 2. I'm talking about the previous age. Under a man anointing, the Pentecostals and their denomination tried to say the spirit is one thing and the word is another. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit. And they are life. If they're just the words of a man, you can separate them from the spirit. But if they're my words, then they are spirit and they are life. And if you receive the spirit, you receive it by the incorruptible seed of God, the word of God. The spirit of God travels in his word. All right. Now, so let's talk about the baptism of the Holy Ghost because uh, the baptism of the Holy Ghost has always been the same. Does that surprise you? From Acts chapter 2 to today, 
The baptism of the Holy Ghost has been the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's not going through every age and say, well, in this age it was this, in that age it was that. Now, the Holy Ghost, we, as we've taught here before, has been bound through the dark ages by a lack of revelation or by creeds and dogmas, as Brother Brown said. So it, the binding of it is not the eliminating of it. The binding of it is holding back the power of what lays within the believer by a wrong teaching. As Brother Branham says, he says, you've got enough power by the Holy Ghost to speak worlds into existence and go and live on it. So it, how many are born again? How many would say this morning, I'm born again? All right. Thank you. You can put your hand down. All right. Now, how many of you have recently spoken worlds into existence and gone and lived on them? I don't see any hands. Why not? There's enough power in you to do that. Why don't you do You say, well, I got the Holy Ghost. Well, prophet of God said, you got enough power to speak worlds into existence. That's what lays in every believer because it's the omnipotent power of God laying in every believer that's received the Holy Ghost. Well, I got the Holy Ghost. It should do this. It should do that. It should even be able to create, even speak worlds into existence. Well, Brother Tim, why can't we? Because God has not revealed that to you. It's not that he hasn't given you the power to do it. The power lays within the believer with the Holy Ghost. Is that all right? You see, the power that lays within us, sometimes we limit God. We say, oh, well, you know, I, I, I'm not sure. No, there's a power of God in the Holy Ghost born again believer to change your world. And it's only limited by what you will believe. And as much as God will reveal to you, that's how much of his power will be manifested in your life. And then I could go, to, go on to say, and I guess this is just Brother Tim being Brother Tim. But, you know, you could go on to say, well, revelation is limited because character might not be in place. Because power without character is demonic. But power with character is fit to rule. So God has to take us through experiences in our life that will mold our character to a place where he can reveal more of the word to us. And you find that in Brother Branham's ministry as you study his ministry. As God molded his character, God also revealed more of the word. And that loosed more of the power. All right. Now, I don't, I don't believe that necessarily that there was uh, that Brother Branham. I don't think that Brother Branham lacked the Holy Ghost in the beginning. When he first got saved, when he was born again, he was born again. Sealed by the Holy Ghost until the day of his, of his redemption. When he, when he thought about committing suicide, he had the Holy Ghost. You know, when he, when he went on down and had different battles, he had the Holy Ghost. When he said, I, I, and I'm going to leave God, that's it. I, I'm just going to, I'm not going to serve God. I'm going to go out in the wilderness and I'm going to be a prophet. He had the Holy Ghost. You see, but, but there had to be a certain things that he had to go through of molding within his life that would loose that power that God had put within him. I hope that's okay. That's not even really in my notes, but that's all laying there. Now, Brother Branham says regarding Jesus, and I, I was reading this this week as I was studying on a message called Victory Day, 1963, after the seals were opened, if you want to know that. He says, there comes a place and he's talking about Lazarus. But he says, there comes a place where life and death was faced. Here he is, life. But there's death that took his friend. 
And then he says, to the showdown. He walked out of the grave, out to the grave, and he pulled them little shoulders back and said, Lazarus, come forth. As Brother Branham said in another place, if he hadn't have said Lazarus, all of the dead would have come forth. But there was Lazarus that had gone four days beyond the grave, whatever, however far that journey took him. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. Then Brother Brown says, that word went forth. It was the word of God. Life sprung to itself again. Back come the victim from beyond yonder somewhere to life again. Why? Because it took a man standing there who was the way, the truth, and the life. And he stood there and put his shoulders back and spoke those words. It was waiting for him to speak. Lazarus, come forth. And when those words went out, it caught that predestinated seed, that life, and pulled it back to that body. And they thought, oh my, you know, he's been four four days dead and, you know, he's already stinking. And they had all kinds of natural interpretations. Listen, natural interpretations don't mean anything to the word. When he spoke the word, it didn't matter how long he'd been dead. He could have been dead four months. It didn't matter. But when that word came, spoke, it called life back to that body. And Lazarus stepped back into that body. And Jesus said, well, loose him. Take the grave clothes off him. He's alive. Praise be to God. Why? Because the word went forth. Brother Branham goes into a thought here in Greatest Battle Ever Fought. And he says, the battle begins right in your mind. He's talking about the mind battle now. now, He says, now remember, it's not Christian science. Mind over matter. And then he explains the relationship of the mind, the soul, and the word. Now listen close. He says, the mind accepts the life which which is the word of God. And there brings the life. Just your thought doesn't do it. But the word of God brought in the channel of your thought. It's not the thought as Christian science makes it. Mind over matter. No, that isn't it. But your mind accepts it and grasps it. What is your mind controlled by? Your spirit. And your spirit catches the word of God. And that's the thing that's got life in it. And it brings life into you. See, it's not just a matter of me telling you, you need to accept this, you need to go through these actions, you need to repent, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and, you need, and then you receive the Holy Ghost. It's not just good enough for me telling you and you intellectually saying, okay, if that's what I need to be a part of this church and that's how I get what these people got, then I guess I better do it. No, it's much more than that. The word of God that was spoken comes now through whatever. You, I, to me, I, when I first came in the message, I didn't have the pleasure of sitting under these ministries. I was in the little town of Oliver. Brother Tom came and visited us. Brother Biswell did. Uh, you know, and, and there we, we listened to tapes. And sometimes we heard a preacher. But as I began to listen to these tapes, something began to speak to me saying, you need to be baptized. You need to be baptized. 
I didn't know what it was. I didn't know specifically was it this tape I listened to or that tape that I listened to. But something began to resonate down in my soul. See, my mind caught something. It was the word that was being spoken. And my mind began to grasp somehow and it began to catch into my spirit and say, for me to receive this life, I must act upon it. I must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. I'd already been baptized, but I must be baptized. And really, there is only one baptism. And as I said to the saints, I forget it was Ethiopia or Uganda, I said, if you've been baptized in the titles of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, you actually haven't been baptized. Because there's only one baptism, and that's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And until that resonates in your soul, not me convincing you, not somebody else convincing you, but when something inside of you says, I must be baptized. I must receive the name of my Lord Jesus Christ. I must be buried with him that I may also raise with him. There must be a reality to it. Then there's something supernatural taking place. The mind has caught the life of the word. All right. He says, oh, brother, when that takes place, when life comes down that channel into you, the word of God is manifested in you. And then Brother Branham goes to that scripture. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask what you will and it'll be done for you. All right, so this scripture will repeat itself later on. A little bit later in greatest battle ever fought. Are you still with me? Sometimes I just get going because I get enjoying it too. Amen, Brother Ernie. It's just good stuff. Quotable quotes, as Brother Tom says. Now, Brother Brown says, when the enemy attacks and tries to say, you got to do this and do that. What are you going to do? Stay with the word. That's right. What do, you, what do you want to do then? Take the word. What is the word? The Bible said here, we just read it, for the spirit of God is the word. And he says, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword, the sword of the spirit. He says, what's the spirit that comes in through your mind and enters into you. And the sword of that spirit is the word of God. What does that spirit fight with? What does the Holy Spirit fight with? Sensations? No. Feelings? No. The word. Oh, I don't know why it gets quiet when I talk about sensation and feelings. Listen, we're all human. We all love sensations and feelings. Come on. And there's nobody here but what loves to feel good. No man yet hateth his own flesh. Right? We're all, we all love to feel good. But it's not feelings that are telling us the reality. And it's not feelings by which we fight. It, you might feel bad. You might make a mistake. You might say something wrong to somebody or say something in a wrong atmosphere or, or, or get into a wrong attitude or, or do something wrong somewhere in your life and you feel bad about it. That doesn't mean you're any less a believer than you were before. I was thinking about this, the whole subject of Paul in, in Romans chapter 7 the other day and I thought, you know, if... We believe the scripture in Romans chapter 8 that says, If the same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, it shall quicken your mortal body. 
That is to say, it shall bring your body subject to the word of God. All right? We believe that. But when you got the Holy Ghost, it does not mean and it cannot mean that your flesh will never make a mistake. Or that you will never make a mistake because of your flesh. But rather, let me say it this way, because if your flesh could be brought so into subject to the word of God that it would never induce you to make a mistake, you wouldn't need a body change. But we need a body change. Because this flesh needs to be redeemed. That's the fullness of adoption to wit the redemption of these mortal bodies. And so we realize then that it can't never be in these bodies that we would never make a mistake or we wouldn't need a body change. I'm not preaching, go out and make mistakes. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying get subject to the Spirit. And I believe, as Brother Bram said, you can live so close to God till the mistakes of the world don't mean nothing. But even Moses, at the end of his ministry, come to, to with a vision from the Lord, speak to the rock. But Moses being anointed with a vision to carry it out very clearly once he got into the presence of the people. And I'll go into that if I have time. But once he got into the presence of the people, that anointing left him and he got into his flesh. And he began to tell him, must I bring water from the rock, you bunch of rebels? And he got angry with them and he smote the rock with the rod which was the second time he smote the rock, which broke the types because the rock was Christ. And it was only to be smitten once at Calvary, one sacrifice for all. But Moses broke the rock, broke the type because of his own fleshliness. Well, I guess maybe I'm the only one that's human. Everyone else is living so close to God they don't make mistakes this morning. Praise the Lord. But those are the realities of human life. Praise the Lord. Otherwise, why do we need grace? It's grace that led us safely this far. And grace will lead us home. Now, I believe in the transforming work of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I believe when a person is born again, their nature is changed. And they're not the person they once were. The things that they used to love of the world, they don't love them anymore. Something happens on the inside of the inside that totally changes them. They don't have an affinity for rock and roll music anymore. They, they don't want to be drinking anymore. They don't want to be smoking anymore. But it's a nature change. It's not a flesh change. And so we realize that, that, that there is a supernatural something that takes place in a person's life. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't, listen, I'm glad I was changed. If I wasn't changed, you wouldn't want to meet the old Tim. I'll just say it that way. Praise the Lord. So the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which the believer receives, is under the anointing of the word for that hour. It can't be any other way. We find that before Calvary, God put cherubims around the tree of life to keep people away from the tree of life, all right? But after Calvary, those same cherubims, or I'll say anointings, or 
Revelation 4 calls them living creatures or beasts, whatever you want to refer to. There's four of these anointings. Ezekiel saw them in the book of Ezekiel. The lion, the ox, the man, and the eagle. They were previously protecting the way to the throne of God, which he is the tree of life. But now they're running men into the tree of life. A running man into the presence of God because of Calvary. There was no bleeding sacrifice before Calvary whereby men could come into the presence of God. But now, by Calvary, we can be born again. Amen. And I trust, as a mature church, I don't need to go into why the blood of bulls and goats couldn't come on the believers, etc. But now we find at Calvary, there's a change. And, and, and in the book of Acts, the anointing comes on the church. Now, now we, we understand that these four anointings are unique in their characteristics. They're called a lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle for a reason. In that they have certain characteristics. And each one in, uh, begins to describe the anointing of God in certain ages. And so in the beginning ages, the lion anointing was what was anointing the church. All right. So the lion anointing was ushering men into the presence of God by the new birth. So under the lion anointing, there was people being born again. They were receiving the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts chapter 2, they come under a lion anointing. They didn't know it as that, perhaps, because the mysteries were not fully unveiled. But, they, but when the presence of God came down, it came down through that channel around the throne of God. Then as the dark ages begin to take over, the ox anointing began to take over in the church. Is that right? And so under a Knox anointing, people were still being ushered into the presence of God. They were still being born again. But they begin to see and experience God under that specific anointing for that age. Then when God began to say, now's the time where I will begin to restore all that the cankerworm, the palm worm, the caterpillar, and the locust has eaten, then I must send that man anointing into the church. And people begin to be born again, which they are always born again in every age. As Brother Brown said in the church age book, every age had the Holy Ghost. Every age had the new birth. And so now in the, under the man anointing in the Reformation ages, under Luther, Wesley, and Pentecost, now they begin to be ushered into the presence of God in a very specific way. But in 1963, that changed. Never has there been an age as clear as this age. That when the word become open, the seals were broken. Seven angels appeared over a desert in Arizona, said, go back to Jeffersonville. I'm going to, we're going to, I forget how they worded it. The seven seals will be made known, maybe might be the right wording. And so as they, as they went, as Brother Branham went back to Jeffersonville to wait on God, what was taking place? The seals were going to be opened. All right. The word was going to become anointed in a different way. The last of the four anointings around the throne of God now begin to move into the church. Not a lion anointing, not a, an, an ox anointing, not a man anointing, but now it's an eagle anointing. Still the Holy Ghost, still the Spirit of God, but now it's specifically anointed for the time and the season. In other words, God sends into his church an anointing upon his word that will make the word alive in the church like it's never been alive before. 
Hallelujah. And so a prophet standing on the earth, and I often say this, God said, I'll, not, I'll do nothing but what I reveal to my servants, the prophets. In other words, there, for something that significant to take place, there had to be a prophet on the earth. Because when God does something in heaven, there has to be somebody here be able to see it. I couldn't see it. These men couldn't see it. But God sent a prophet that he might see and declare to you what God has done in this age. Hallelujah. That's why we're rejoicing in a message. It's not an additional word. It's the word of God. And so the eagle anointing begins to flow upon lives in the church. A change. This is just Brother Tim now. I always look back and I know my grandpa said he had received the Holy Ghost in 1933. And uh, it was 33 or 36. I can't remember. I had, it was on a piece of paper. And, uh, but you know, there was no eagle anointing in that day. He was anointed under a, a man cherubim, a man anointing. And so when it come to the message of the hour, having the true Holy Ghost, he couldn't speak against the message, but yet he couldn't see the message. Having the Holy Ghost, he's, he's passed on many years ago, but having the Holy Ghost, he never spoke against what I believed, but he just couldn't see it because it takes a different anointing to see this message. And when it when God sends his anointing to the church, that's why, and I'll just say, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I don't personally believe since 1963 you can be born again outside of this anointed word. God can do anything, but that's just the way I see it. You know, it was hard for the Jews to see the God that was veiled amongst them. Oh, it was hard for them. They had heard grandiose sermons of this great God that led them in the wilderness. Of how God sent manna amongst them. How their fathers ate manna in the wilderness and all of the mighty things that Jehovah God had done. And then here comes this man, meek, Lowly of spirit. Not a great big man like an angel or something, but a little man. Nothing outward, no outward beauty that we would desire him, the scripture says. Nothing particularly attractive about him in the human realm. But when he spoke, never a man spake like this man. But as they looked at him, and like Nicodemus said in John chapter 3, we know you're a teacher sent from God. They could go that far. But because we see that nobody could do these kind of works unless God was with him. All right? So they saw the sign, but they didn't recognize the commission or the, the, the voice that was behind the sign. And as they begin to wrestle with this, they, they could not identify how Jesus could be God. Now, I want to, I'm saying it this way for a reason. God sends his anointed word in every hour in a way that the carnal mind cannot see that that could possibly be God. 
And every hour it's been the same. It's the same in this message. People, the carnal mind looks at the message and says, how can that be God? Look at this mistake here and that mistake here. Look at the man uh, isn't even educated. He says this story this way one day and he says it another way another day. And, you know, he talks about this and then he talks about that. And he believed this here and then he believed that over there. And, you know, not recognizing how God had to progressively reveal his word to Brother Brown, so on and so forth. And so they look at it in their carnal mind trying to fit it together. How could that be God? Well, there was no difference in Jesus' day. How could he be God? His disciples eat with unwashed hands. He, he spends time with publicans and sinners. You know, he, he, he look at the, the prostitutes that hang around him and all of the kind of things by just the, the common people and fishermen and all of the, a lot of those people aren't even educated. They can't even sign their name. What kind of a, what kind of a group does he have anyway? It was God. It was God. Because it, they just couldn't grasp, as I ministered a few months ago, they couldn't grasp even or understand God's love for them. Let's look at the woman at the well just a moment. Brother Bisco mentioned her this morning. He actually mentioned a couple of things this morning that he was just right in the channel of the thought, something in the office that he said as well. And, you know, how could it be God, that this woman at the well would be quickened, A, being a Samaritan, and B, before many others, better than her. But Jesus had needs to go by Samaria. And as he goes by Samaria, the Bible says he, he in John chapter 4, he sits down by the well. The disciples go into the city, and out comes this woman. And the reason he's there is because of her. The reason he's in Samaria is because of this one woman. And so he says to the woman, he says, now bring me a drink. And she's like, well, you know, why you a Jew have dealings with me, a Samaritan, and, and, you know, we don't have dealings together. You know, she had some racial bias, we would call in this age. And so she said, you know, maybe she'd been offended by a Jew. Maybe some Jew had told her someday, you're just a Samaritan. You don't know nothing. And now she had kind of a bee in her bonnet. And she runs into this man that looks like a Jew and says, why are you a Jew asking me for a drink? I thought you Jews had no dealing with Samaritans. You know, she got a chip on her shoulder. And uh, Jesus said, well, actually, if you knew who I was, he said, you'd ask me for a drink. And, uh, uh, and, I'd, and the water that I give, a person would never... Uh, uh, would never thirst again. And I'm just paraphrasing it here. And, and she says, well, first of all, you have nothing to draw with. And secondly, if you can draw water that that person would never thirst again, then give me this water because she's thinking in her mind that, I, you know, really, I, I'd rather not have to come out to the well every day. I'd rather have this water that I'm never going to need to come up, make this trip every day and carry this heavy load back into town and all of this water. This is hard labor. See, she was still in the natural realm. And so as he begins to deal with her, she, he says, well, he says, uh, I'll tell you what, go get your husband and come here. And she says to him, sir, I don't have a husband. And uh, so that solved that in her mind. And he says to her, he says, well, he says, you've actually told the truth. And then he blows her mind. You've had five husbands. 
And the one you're living with now is not your husband. I'll tell you what, that blow my mind. I think I'm doing pretty good sparring with this Jew, if I was her. Okay, I'm doing okay. I'm holding my own here. And uh, all of a sudden, what's that young man that said, bam, it drops on her, right? What is it? It's the anointed word. Now, it says, you've had five, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. And, and our fathers worship in this mountain, and, and you worship at Jerusalem. And so she's thinking, like, like Nicodemus, this is a great teacher. Now I'm going to answer a question that I've always had. Which is the best place to worship? At Cloverdale? At Jeffersonville? At, at, at Edmonton? At, at uh, Tucson? At... <laughs> she's got a question in her mind. He said, listen, the hour cometh and now is where neither at Jerusalem nor in this mountain, but God seeks them to worship him in spirit and in truth. And she says, well, well, I know when the Messiah comes that he'll be a prophet. And we're looking for the Messiah and he, and he just says these words. Now he doesn't say to her, look, what we need right now is an altar call. You know, we ought to maybe play some music and have a nice sweet atmosphere and, and, and have draw, draw people. No, maybe we should have a prayer line, you know, and, and have people come up through the prayer line and lay hands on them and all those. That's a Jewish custom. And, and all that, no. He just said, I that speak to you am he. And that seed that was in her, the light, the life came to the seed. And she says, I can eat this bread. I can digest this. This is real to me. The disciples show up at this time and she leaves and goes into the city and says, come see a man that told me all things. Is not this the very Messiah? What happened? It wasn't, it wasn't just atmosphere. It wasn't laying on of hands. It wasn't altar calls. Listen, all of those things are fine in their places. I'm not, I'm not hanging, hitting against those. But what I'm saying is the most important thing that she can receive is the anointed word for her hour. I am he that speaks to you. Or I that speak to you, I'm he, whichever way you want to say it. It was God materializing himself. See, she was the revival. Hallelujah. The word came by her way. And somebody says, you want to see the revival? I am the revival. That revival went into the city. And the revival spread through the city. And many were converted. Why? Because a predestinated seed became quickened by the word of the hour. He did not say to her, listen, Moses, what Moses did was right. And you know what? What Joshua did was right. And what Samuel did was right. And, and we have these laws and all of these things. And worship in Jerusalem. And Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem and prayed to God. And he said this. And, and he didn't bring all these pieces together. He said, no, I that speak to you am he. She could embrace that. There was many others in that hour could not digest that food. I am the bread that came down from heaven. Oh, what nonsense is he talking about? This is the message that you must be quickened by. Oh, what are these people talking about? God sent a prophet in these last days. Oh, what does that mean? I'll tell you what. It came by my way and it quickened me. The anointed word of the hour. God materializing himself. Now, it's not, it does not become some great big thing does not become some great big overriding massive revival in Israel 
No, he goes to Calvary and is rejected of men until even the 500 become 120 in the upper room. And, and, and the numbers seem to diminish, but it's God materializing himself. See, Brother Branham deals with it here. Listen, sometimes it's hard. Brother Branham says, says it this way. He says, God has a hard time to get somebody that he can deal with that will stay humble and meek and stay in the place until God calls him to do something. He says, the man that God can bless and still keep himself a man, not be an angel or a God. As soon as man gets blessed and has a little something given to him, he wants to become a God. He wants to become an angel. He wants to become some great person. What I do, what me, me and mine, all that. Then Brother Branham said, Listen, this is the man that seven angels appear to. I've been kind of reading a little bit of his life story. And I, I, just, I just had to bow my head the last couple days. And just say, Lord, don't deal with me like you dealt with Brother Branham. Because I couldn't take it. The supernatural experiences. Sometimes we think, oh, we'd love to have those kind of super. No, you wouldn't. Those are fearful things. Brother Biscoe talks about the one he was in in the pickup truck where the angel of the Lord came in and Brother Branham just turns ashen and, and how that all takes place. Listen, I, I, I read about his life and I just go, oh God, I'm unworthy to hardly have you speak to me. And this great man that you spoke to, and now this man is speaking. This man who had visitations of angels. This man whom, of whom it was spoken as John the Baptist forerun the first coming of Christ, so shall your ministry forerun the second coming of Christ. Are you with me? This man who had his picture taken with the pillar of fire. This man who was in Arizona when seven angels appeared. This man who was up in the Arizona desert worshiping God and a sword strikes his hand. This man whom God says you need squirrels. This man. I'm not worshiping the man. I'm just telling you, God met with the man. And so as God dealt with this man, and now this man is speaking here, and he says it's so hard for God when he begins to bless somebody. He says, he says they want to be some great person. He said that's the wrong attitude. God's hunting for somebody who he could bless and pour out the blessings. And the more he blessed, the littler the man will become. Hallelujah. Lord, take us there. Lord, as you, I want him to pour out his blessings on my life. You want him to pour out his blessings on your life. But Lord, let it be the more you pour out your blessing, the littler I become. The more you do, the less I say. The more that you move in my life, let me just get disappeared out of the picture and let the people just see Jesus. Amen. Because when the word comes anointed, it's anointed to fulfill a purpose. I have to bring this to a close, so I'm sorry. I have to oh my, skip over a few things here. Listen, Brother Branham speaks about objective. 
Are we okay so far? Sometimes the word is so powerful, we just need to pause and think about it for a minute. This isn't about a certain function or about a man being a great eloquent speaker. Think about the things that we've heard this morning is enough. To we ought to fall on our face and say, oh God, you are God. And you are my God. And I give my life to you unreservedly. And we come into a service, but what are we doing here? We know the mechanics of a service. Preaching, singing, praying. Those are all the mechanics that we find in a service. But as has been said over the pulpit here before, it's more than that. It's a meeting with God. It's not form so much as it's an experience. In every service we come together, the potentials are there to meet our need. We're not come to church to hear our favorite preacher. We don't come to church to hope somebody's preaching rather than somebody else. But we come to church to say, oh God, I want to feed on your word. Because there's that resonating within us that says, my word is spirit. And my word is life. And if you can eat this word, you'll have life. Sometimes we have to look past the man part. That got quiet. Thank you. Somebody said amen. We have to look past the man part. Oh, it's Brother Tim. He talks like this and he holds the basketball or whatever, you know, and he's, he's this way and that way. Or it's Brother Tom and he gets excited and passionate or Brother John and, and he's his way, his way. Or we all love Brother Biscoe, got nothing bad to say about him. And, you know, all of those kind of things. And so we look at that, but we got to look past that. Say, so, oh God, what are you doing this morning? It's, it's an experience. There, there's an objective that we want to accomplish as a church. There's an objective we want to accomplish as a preacher. And there's an objective that we want to accomplish as an individual. I don't ever want to go from the service saying I didn't meet with God or I didn't get something from God. Lord, just give me a little morsel or a little something. And, and we could even go further than that and say, well, depending on who's standing behind the pulpit, we could say a pastor's objective is maybe different from an evangelist's objective. And they both differ from that of a, maybe a teacher or an apostle. And, and so each ministry, according to the gift that God puts in the individual, even amongst similar gifts, we would see differences in administration. Because as we know, Peter and Paul and John and James were all called apostles. But yet you could definitely say God moved through each one differently. And God used his word differently, but it was the same message. The same anointing, the same word in that hour. Brother Branham talks about objective in several places. Let me read you a few things before we wind this up this morning. He says, now for instance, he says, I was in a valley. He says, and I'm preaching to millions of people, but just across the mountain, there's a group of people of a hundred. And they're dying without knowing Christ. Well, I've got a million here to preach to, but yet something in my heart's telling me, get across to these people. Get to them, they're perishing. I don't want to go myself, but yet there's something in me. See, that's God then moving. See what the objective is. See what the motive is of going. Say, well, if my objective is right to get over there, but then I get up there and here's this big mountain. And you say, you know, I have to get over that mountain and save those hundreds of people and someday they'll have a statue there, Brother Branham, the great missionary. He said, now my motive's not right. And that mountain won't fall. All right. 
So he says, it's very easy, you see, to slip out of, from one right objective to a wrong objective. From a right motive to a wrong motive. Even though it's the same purpose, it's the same cause, but a man's got to keep himself in the right attitude and atmosphere. Another place Brother Branham says, and I'll read these to you in date order so you understand. Uh, I'm not jumping all over the place in the message, but he says, he says, he's my objective. My motive to him is to sacrifice everything that I have to follow him. Whether I'm called a fanatic, whether I'm called a divine healer, a holy roller, whatever it might be, I don't care for the things of the world, and I don't believe any Christian does. We want to follow Christ. That's my objective. Follow him. Lift him up. That's what we need today is people that's willing to sacrifice. Amen. That's 1960, 1961. My objective is to try to explain the best of my knowledge by the scriptures what is right and wrong. And it's always been my objective to never compromise on anything that God has written. And never say it's right just because somebody else says it's right. Amen. Never compromise on the word of God. 1962, he says, I want to make my objectives the same objectives that he had. And that was always trying to do good to help somebody. These are objectives. 1964, he says, my objective is to magnify Jesus Christ. He goes on in another place, 1964. And this one's very specific, but I think you'll get a lesson out of it. He says now, he's speaking in Birmingham, Alabama. He says now, we want to say this so that you'll understand. The reason I put that prayer line off to meet every person is because my principle, my objective is this. That people will receive Christ as their healer without anybody laying hands on them. All right. So now we see a prophet has an objective. He has the word. He has the anointed word of the hour. But what are you doing with the anointed word of the hour? The objective has to be right. He says, usually you take an evangelist, comes into a city. He's everything to the church. When he leaves, sometimes the congregation looks at their pastor and say, well, what about my pastor? I, I want you to know that your pastor is a godly man. And I want you to have respects and know that that man's just as ordained to pray for the sick as anybody else is ordained. Can we say amen to that? He says, and by the way, our objective mainly is for you. Now, here we go. We come, this is the last quote. We come all the way back to what is this service about? My, our objective mainly is for you to see the presence of Jesus Christ. And know that he's here. And then, while you're in his presence, just accept him as your savior and your healer. If you're not saved, accept him as savior. If you're saved and not healed, then accept him as your healer. Then nobody can say, brother, so-and-so laid hands on me. No, you laid hands on him. That's the main thing. Hallelujah. So our objective is to take whatever gift that God puts in us. And by that, 
take the anointed word of the hour until you realize this is nothing but Jesus Christ in the midst of his church. Let it be ever so humble. Let it be ever so simple. Let it be ever so, we say, chopped up or broken up of a sermon. A little bit here, a little bit there. But something happens that the word comes to you. And you're sitting there and it speaks to your heart. And you say, he is my healer. He's here and he is my healer. He's here and he is my savior. He's here and he is my provider. He's here and he is my peace. Hallelujah. He is my joy. He is my sustaining portion. He is my all in all. He is my mother. He is my father. He is my sister. He is my brother. He's everything to me. It doesn't matter what the world has. I've sat in the presence of Jesus like the woman at the well. Hallelujah. I met him. I went into a church. What happened? There was an atmosphere. It felt strange. I didn't know what to make of it. I remember the first time I've said it before. I sat in the church, this church when it was in the log church. I sat in the back actually very close to where my dad is sitting right now. And then sat right back there and the atmosphere just came over me wave over wave over wave. And I just sat there in the presence of God and wept like a baby so embarrassed. I thought everybody's looking at me. Everybody's seeing me cry. Nobody cared. I was crying. There was probably, I don't know, 150, 200 people there in the log church. And there was God in the midst of his people. And the word was going forth. And the word began to minister to my soul. And God began to loose me. And God began to strike me. Listen, it's not some great, big, outstanding human revelation. It's God in the midst of his people. No different than a, and I was reading about or listening to, I can't remember where it was, but a, it was a, a man of God. Our pastor sat on a log with a prophet and there asked a prophet a question. Or no, the prophet said, you have three questions. And just begin to deal with those three questions. And just very simply, very simply, not theologically, very simply answered those questions with very simple answers from the scripture. And it's our pastor's testimony. He came to me there. Something happened there. What was that? The anointed word for the hour to a heart predestinated to receive the word. All these years, all of your lives, this church, all of the efforts around the world, thousands upon thousands upon tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, if I can say it that way, of lives that have been affected by your pastors, our pastors' ministry. What did that? He sat on a log. Not I was in some outstanding meeting. He sat on a log. He was in a meeting in, the, in Vernon, I think it was, where he saw God supernaturally deliver the girl from the cross-eyed. But his life really wasn't fully changed then. His, his attention was attracted. See, so many times we miss the difference between the sign and the commission. He saw the sign. And we've received a sign in this hour. And we won't ever have another sign. That was, Brother Branham said, this is the final sign to the Gentiles. 
Amen. The world has received her final sign. But it wasn't the sign that keeps us. We had a sign. But the sign attracted us to the voice. Because there was a commission. There was something behind there. And when a, when a, when a pastor here sat on a log. Excuse me for just zeroing in on Brother Bisco's testimony. But as he sat on a log next to a prophet. And who told him you have three questions. And then just begin to simply answer them out of the Bible. Very simply. Scriptures. Here it is. You need to just read the next scripture. That wasn't theological. That wasn't tying it all together. Matter of fact, there are scriptures that Brother Branham never used that he could have used. But he just spoke the anointed word of the hour. No different than Jesus spoke to the woman at the well. I that speak to you am he. Hallelujah. Her life was never the same after that. Brother Branham, Brother Bisco's life was never the same after that. My life was never the same after that. When I sat in a park with a brother on a bench... And said, no, what is serpent seed? Well, the original sin in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't an apple. It was a sexual act between Eve and the serpent. Eve and the serpent. And then it was, bam. Amen. Are you the bam, brother? You are. Bam. I kind of thought he was. Boom. Is it boom? Boom, not bam. All right. Boom for you, bam for me. All right. Then it was Boom. Something happened. All of a sudden, the whole Bible becomes open. The anointed word for the hour. And then from that time, I could take tape after tape and book after book and feed and feed and feed and feed until my life became transformed. Now I just feel like I'm being an evangelist here. I'm not hardly going to the word of God. But it's the word of the hour. I got to use the testimony you shared this morning, Brother Biscoe. You didn't even know what you're saying. He just come to his mind. We're in the office. He said, there was this woman. He says, she, she was under oppression of the enemy. He said, and this is before the message, I assume. And they were, they were in a meeting. It was some, probably a Pentecostal meeting. And this woman come up for prayer. And so all of, the, all of the ministers gathered around her. And they were casting every demon they could think of out of her. And they were just laying hands on her and praying for her and getting downright anointed. He says, but there was this one sister. Her husband was a minister. Is it okay if I name her name? Her name was Sister Eaton, her brother, her husband rather, an older sister. But her husband was a real, a real student of the Old Testament. And she just began, kept publishing his books. And so she was just a real godly sister. And so she was up there and with this sister and the, these these brothers were all laying hands on this sister, and this one that was oppressed. And this one older sister was standing right in front of her. They had all done their best, and the woman was still oppressed. And so this old sister just began to quote her promises out of the Word of God. Just began to quote her scripture. He says, pretty soon, this woman that was oppressed started to giggle. Uh, yeah. Oh, and she says, here, the word, more word, more word. And pretty soon... That demon of oppression just left her. What was it? Anointed word. Hallelujah. I believe in the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. But it takes the word to drive the enemy away. The spirit fights with the sword of the word. Oh my, we could go into so much here. But we just have to wrap it up. We just have to wrap it up. See, alone we can accomplish nothing. Moses alone could accomplish nothing. 
He, he, he had a gift, but by himself, he could accomplish nothing. But when the anointing struck that predestinated gift, then all things were possible. It had took the anointed, fulfilled word for that hour. God had to bring his attention. I've heard the cry of my people. I have remembered my promise. Hallelujah. How many times we should go to the Lord when we're in need? Lord, remember your promise. Lord, you said it would be this way. Lord, you said. Amen. Lord, you said that we would believe for us at our household. They would be saved. Lord, you said. That wasn't me. That was you. Amen. Lord, you said, by your stripes I am healed. Lord, you said that you'd meet all of my needs according to your riches and glory. You said those words, Lord. That's your word. All of it is given by inspiration. All of it is profitable. Elijah, under the anointing, could call fire from heaven. Under the anointing, he could be up there on Mount Carmel. Oh, I love it. As those prophets of Baal, they were getting excited and jumping and dancing. I get excited and jump and dance sometimes, I guess. But, you know, they were trying to call down fire from heaven, and he was just sitting back. Call a little louder. Maybe your God's a little tone deaf. Maybe he's off pursuing. Maybe he's busy. Maybe this. Maybe that. You know, he was pretty brash. But he had had a commission from God. He was the anointed word for the hour. And as he sat there under that commission, he knew he had the word of the Lord. And so he let them go on and on and on all day. They were cutting themselves. They were doing all kinds of things and nothing happened. He says, all right, my turn. He gets the stones and rebuilds the altar of Israel. Puts everything back in its place. And then he he puts the sacrifice on the altar. Digs a ditch around the altar. Pours water on the sacrifice. Pours more water on the sacrifice. Pours more. Why is he doing that? Because God told him to do that. Pours, you know, a human mind would say, well, if I want fire to eat the sacrifice, why would I pour water on it? But God does things differently than we think. And so as he, as he begins to pour all the water and everything on the sacrifice, then he says, now, now. We're really going to have a song service. No. It's not what he said. Now we're going to have us a prayer line. No. Now I want you all to repent. We're going to have an altar call to Israel. I want you all to get down on your knees and we're all going to repent and have an altar. No. He says, now let it be known. That I am your prophet and that I've done this at your command. Boom! The fire falls. Boom! It changes the whole situation. Consumes the sacrifice. Consumes the altar. Consumes everything. Why? Because he had the anointed word of the hour. That's why Brother Branham says anointing is not emotions or sensations. Anointing is supreme power in control. Knowing what to, how, how to do and what to do. Knowing what to do and how to do it. I'm just paraphrasing. I have it here somewhere. But you understand what I mean. It's when the inspiration comes from God and says, do it just this way. And I will come in and back it up. Why? Because he's not willing that any flesh should glory in his presence. It's not my emotion. It's not my sensation. It's not how excited I get, even though I get excited and I get emotional and all of those things. But it's not those things that does it. 
It's God saying, you do it this way, and I will come behind it and bless it. So when you can find the mind of God, and I'm sorry, I just did not go into it as deep maybe as I should have this morning, but we're out of time. But when God leads you to his mind, when God leads you to his character, when God leads you to reveal his word to you, don't worry about how it feels. Don't worry about the emotion of it. It's all right to be emotional, all right? Matter of fact, I love nothing better than to be emotional. I got to always bring the balance because people think, that brother Tim, he's not even emotional. No, but when God reveals it, you stand upon that word. And you just say, here's where I stand. God spoke this to me, and I'm not moving. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. Immovable in the presence of the devil, and you watch the devil back up. When God speaks to you and says, I have healed you 2,000 years ago. You just stand and accept your healing. And you just claim it in my presence. There's nothing, no devil in hell can stop you from receiving your healing. When God says to you, I'm your Savior. When God says to you, don't worry about what your family's going to say. Don't worry about what others are going to say. Walk with me. I'll be with you. I'll be in you even to the end of the age. Don't fear anything. Fear not. I am with you. When he speaks those words, then the believers can stand as musicians come and claim their rightful inheritance in the word of God. The things that a believer can do under the anointed word of the hour, completely yielded to God. I went to Uganda a few weeks ago, and I marveled how that all of these baptisms was largely under the ministry of one man. And that man, previously unknown to the world, not a great big name that had traveled the world and done great evangelistic campaigns, no, a man that was on his deathbed, actually, a man that was a diabetic that almost died, but God came on the scene. And God says, I'm not done with you yet. I'm going to use you because I have many souls in this place that need to hear my word. And I watched him minister to those people. I watched him speak to those Pentecostal, denominational-minded people. And I thought, what a perfect gift in this season for this situation. I couldn't have done it. Somebody else couldn't have done it. But when I saw how God was using him, I thought, oh, praise God. God knows just what he's doing. Amen. Let's stand together. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there's none like you. My Jesus.
what is that atmosphere you feel this morning? That's not human. That's angels from another dimension that are moving through this service around the presence of the Lord. Because wherever he is, he's accompanied by angels. And you feel the sweetness of their presence. And you might be standing here tonight and saying, what do I do? I'll say, if you're a sinner, you need to accept him as your savior. Because except you eat his flesh and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So I need a touch from God in my body. You don't need me to lay hands on you. You don't need somebody else to lay hands on you. You need to lay hands on him. You need to touch the hem of his garment by faith saying, Lord, I believe you. Lord, I believe your presence here and let the healing virtue that was loosed at Calvary come down upon my body this morning. I have need of it. He saw that the last days we would be weaker, but he sent an atonement. He sent a provision. He sent a balm in Gilead. He sent a physician. He sent something that you can reach out and touch him by faith and say, oh God, I believe you. I accept it, Lord, this evening in your presence. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we're standing in your presence right now, Lord, as you're dealing with us individually as only you can deal. Lord, it's your life. It's your spirit. You know how I feel right now. It's not my feelings. It's your reality. In the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, may you drop faith into the heart that needs it this morning. May you bring the realities of your life and your presence. Lord, may you break every chain of the enemy. There might be somebody sitting here tonight, standing here today saying, but the devil has me in this point of my life. Lord, even now, in Jesus Christ's name, May you loose every captive. May you break every fetter. Lord, I'm asking that the power that only comes from you may go to the needy person this morning. And may they leave here a free man or a free woman, Lord, liberated under the gospel atonement of Jesus Christ. Lord, we commit ourselves to you. Lord, we commit this service to you. We commit this Father's Day to you. Thank you for fathers that are fathers indeed. Thank you, Lord, for brothers that I've watched over years that have stood for their families, stood steadfast in their homes, stood for the truth of the hour. May your blessing be upon them, Lord. We need strong fathers. We need strong households that can only be given by your supernatural hand, Lord. We yield ourselves to you, Lord, and admit that we're nothing without you. But we love you, Lord, and we thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. I commit this church to you, this service to you. Bless the service that will be coming on this evening. Bless Brother Murphy as he prepares for the service, Lord. May May you grant a double portion to be upon him, Father. I pray, O oh God, that you'll just use him for your glory tonight as we commit all things into your hands. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. 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 I think it's the same, same key. You sang it already. You deserve the glory. 
deserve the glory. The service tonight is at five o'clock come expecting to receive from the lord shake one another's hand as you go service is dismissed in jesus name